Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Learn From Gaming Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we dig into our favorite games and discuss what we can learn from them and just why we like them. Um, For those of you out there counting, this is episode 21, and it's coming at you on April 11th. Yeah, April 11th, 2018. My name is Chase Strollenberg, and I'm joined by... Stu Gritter. Hi, Stu Gritter. How are you? I'm doing pretty well today. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, got this cold uh, still. Still. Uh, like Should you get four, rid of that thing? Yeah, four weeks of cold. Um, it's one hell of a cold, man. Uh, but uh, also, like, I love that you say that to me as though I haven't been trying. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. You know how to pick them. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, the only thing I haven't done is go to the doctor, which after <laughs> you've had a cold for like four weeks, maybe you should. Yeah, that's um, one of those things. Yeah, they give you druggy drugs, make it go away. Yeah, um, just hasn't hasn't been a priority. So yeah, fair. Also, like I'm in between doctors. Uh, I've got a doctor in uh, like back in uh, St. Catharines where I used to live. And I live in Niagara Falls, which isn't that far, but I'm trying to find a family doctor here and establish myself here uh, so that I have, uh, I don't have to drive as far and I can just like maybe go to an appointment uh, during a weekday during like a lunch break or something. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it's just easy. Yeah. You know how it is. Um, But uh, yeah, so that's not why we're here. (laughs) We're, we're actually here to, uh, to do this podcast. And for anybody joining us brand spanking new, uh, this podcast is all about finding the intrinsic value in uh, in video games. So what Stu and I like to do is, I mean, we love talking about games in general, and you'll notice we do that a lot, but what we also like to do is Stu and I choose a game uh, that is a, that we feel is sort of important to us and maybe even formative, and we like to focus on it, try and find any kind of educational value in it, um, but also what we found fun about it. And then uh, it, it's kind of surprising where those things sort of overlap. So you might find, uh, like a good example is JRPGs. Maybe they helped me learn how to read. Uh, I'm definitely going to explore that again uh, later. There's a JRPG that I really want to focus on in one of the next episodes. So we'll talk about that. But also things like geography, learning learning like actual world map stuff um like when uh when Stu used to play pirates he actually learned more about the caribbean than he probably ever wanted to (laughs) or maybe he did want to i don't know um but that's the sort of stuff uh that is surprising how you learn it um and and how much of it sticks and that's really what we're here to do uh it's not just the the textbook stuff spelling and arithmetic like we we want to get like some of the weirder but also sort of social stuff that comes out of out of playing games and um yeah that's that's what we're doing so Stu, uh you want to you want to hit anything off the top or do you just want to jump into our first segment uh off the get-go no no surprises here nothing okay nothing nothing okay well that's good that's good uh so you know what i think we will just uh We'll just jump into what we learned this month because I'm gonna not say week anymore because <laughs> let's be real, it takes almost a month in between episodes. Not always. Uh, this is like uh, two weeks apart, which is what we wanted to do all along. Um, but for anybody brand new, again, this is the segment of the show where we discuss things we learned about gaming this month. Um, Stu, you and I love tech, and we love gaming news, Uh, so remember, if you want to hear us talk about gaming news or tech updates, 
uh, just email us at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us in our many, many uh, social media forums. So we actually did get a reach out from Jeff, um, who wrote to ask our opinions on an article from CBC concerning uh, uh, video game addiction. So I'm going to make sure that there's a link to this article in our show notes. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And then I'm going to cough into the microphone. Hmm. But the article itself, um, uh, it's it's actually called Video Game Addiction, a Disorder? Question mark. Who says yes? Now, who is a World Health Organization? Um, and this, I, uh, Stu, you and I have talked about this. I feel it's sort of jumping on the bandwagon of sort of glorifying this before it's actually a real thing. Hmm. So this was published April 4th, 2018. Um, it focuses mostly on a social worker, uh, Lisa Point, or Lisa Pont, who um, who works um, with people suffering from addiction um, at the Center for Addiction, actually, and Mental Health in Toronto. Now, I'm not trying to discredit uh, Lisa in any way, shape, or form, because, again, uh, definitely not a professional. Do not work in the industry um, any stretch, by any any stretch. But I feel like, especially based on the opinions of other people um, who I respect and who I listen to on a regular basis and who actually engage with video games, um, there is no evidence here to suggest that Lisa understands video games beyond the concept of them. I don't know if she actually engages with them herself. Uh, That never gets explored. But I believe this is one of those situations where... um, there is a lot of fluff in this article up into the point where we get near the end where um, she actually says that it's also worth considering that in many cases, video game addiction may be, and then in quotation marks, a symptom of underlying issues. For most people, there are addiction, uh, um, where there's addiction, there's something they are trying to soothe, whether it's a clinical issue like depression or even other issues like relationship conflict or poor self-esteem, there's almost always underlying issues. And that's the end of the quotation. So something else that this article focuses on is the inability to stop your, um, like your, your child or, um, I guess, your teenager from, uh, from engaging with things like cell phones and video games. And the only thing that, that this makes me think, like, it... Hmm. For my parents, if they wanted to stop me, they could. Uh, I realize it's a lot harder with cell phones, but like as parents, you sometimes don't always want to abuse the authority that you have because you're worried that your your children might not like you. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if your children like you or not, because let's be let's be real here. Like you're trying to shape shape good and productive people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Hel- like, healthy individuals. Healthy not, individuals. Not, not, so you're not if, spawning your new best friends. You're, yeah, so if you like, if if you see an action that is concerning, take the initiative, even if your child gets really upset, like just, uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's one of those things where it's like you have more power than you think. Um, and I guess there's just a generation of parents that are really scared to use it. I think the thinking is is the problem there. Like they're addicted to their phones. Well, did you not like? Have you not been paying attention to anything in culture over the last five years when you bought your twelve year old child a brand new cell phone? Yeah, and, and this is one of those. Uh, this is another one of those things, right? So, 
Um, video games are a relatively new industry, but I mean, they're, they're, it's getting up there, right? It's one of those industries that's starting to get a lot more research. Um, smartphones is about a 10-year-old technology, but it's a technology that moves at a rate that is unprecedented. Um, in, in the same way that video games are, are basically escalating, but I guess I feel like video games and, uh, and the, that sort of genre is kind of plateauing, whereas smartphones and how they perform, they continue to get better and better and better. Um, each iteration is faster and stronger, etc., etc. Um, but this is one of those examples of releasing a product to the public without really understanding the ramifications, like allowing somebody to be connected to the internet and all of those applications all the time <laughs> is uh, something that when people made the internet, they never really thought about. Um, and it, I mean, it, it's, it's sort of like we we're now living in sci-fi where like you're connected to everything all the time. Um, but it's again, one of those things where maybe you need to learn how to either moderate for yourself or teach moderation. And that's, I mean, it's easy to say it's hard to do. Right. Like I have yeah, a son. There's no that. guarantee. There's no guarantee that he's going to turn out. OK, <laughs> like I hope he does. Um, between my <laughs> wife and I, I, I hope that uh, you'll do something. Can, right. Yeah. Yeah. We can do at least one or two things. Right. But um, as a parent, especially if you're the one like a funding these phones, like you can cut off the funding, like say your child refuses to give you the phone and you can't physically figure out a way to do it. Cut the funding. Stop the phone. Like, just stop it. Right. And then if your child is productive enough to have the money to buy themselves their own phone, then that means that at least they can still focus enough to actually work a part time job, um, which at the end of the day is all anybody should really ever be aspiring towards, I guess, because <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I'd hope people would aspire to more than just that. But, yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I, I still remember being a teenager back when the Internet was bright and shiny and dial up. Um, it was a lot easier. Uh, <laughs> it was a lot easier to to go to work and make the money to buy the things I wanted because I wasn't online all the time. Um, but uh, I mean, the world has changed. But this is one of those things where I feel like there there is control that can be asserted. Um, also, like that the end of this article does a really good job of just suggesting that there may be something else going on. So uh, pay attention or just seek help. Right. Well, yeah, it, it, it's, I guess there are a lot of other addictive substances that get started up because of some other reason. Right. Yes. So but uh, and then I'm like, comes I'm, from can come for originate from elsewhere. Yeah. But, but there's also like an intrinsic issue with the diagnosis itself. Right. Um, because the, the types of behavior that are concerning that are causing these red flags for uh, the, the video game addiction diagnosis, like this is just teenagers being teenagers, right? Like uh, withdrawing, having less interest in, in school, uh, stuff like that. Like that's not uncommon <laughs> for, for a teenager. Yeah, um, that, that's really true, too. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I graduated high school, 
But like, I did not give a F while I was there. Right. No, like no, I was no. bored all the time and yeah. I was always looking for something else to do. Absolutely. And if people have cell phones on them now in schools, like we had cell phones, but like you didn't, it didn't connect to the internet. It was a flip phone that you could call people. We didn't even have texting yet when we were going through high school. Right. Like if you have that now. Like yeah, that it's, is... it's entirely possible. I would not have graduated from like grade three. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I am sick. Um, like the the world has changed in ways that we like we can't comprehend. Um, compared to what schooling was like when you and I went, but yeah, yeah. Um, mm, mm, mm. Uh, it's it's hard. It's it's hard to. Uh, it's hard because it's sort of like it's a criticism that's aimed at uh, at a hobby that we enjoy and that we have lived with for so long that like is it our bias getting in the way and we're just using like our our intelligence to sort of defend it um or is this actually as messy as anybody who understands what video gaming is but also knows how to talk about psychology says it is? Yeah, without having the psychology background, I guess, to me, it's, it seems not a cultural phenomenon, but definitely, like, like, it is a societal issue. It's not like you can... I, I mean, to me, if it was, you know, people... The equivalent of snorting Tetris isn't a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and when, like, if you dropped off a bunch of Game Boys in another country where they had other problems, I don't think the same thing would happen. Even, oh. if, even, if, you, I, I, even if you, like, went back, like, when we were kids, it's, like, people, there were a lot of kids who did have Game Boys. Yes. Yep. And, hand, and handheld gaming stuff. It's not like you know, X percentage of people with Game Boys suddenly extracted themselves from society and got all fucked up. It, that didn't really happen. So I, I don't know. I have, yeah, there's, I, I don't have enough knowledge or understanding to really <laughs> yeah, guess what that's I'm sad. That said, Jeff, thank you very much for bringing the article to our attention. Um, it's, yeah, it's tough. Uh, I want to talk smart about this, but I'm not smart enough. <laughs> the, yeah, the only other line I want to pull out of that article was that the last update to the uh, DSM was in 2013, and yep. that was 14 years in the making. So, yep. you know, d despite the fact that it's only been a few years and we're having these conversations right now, it could very well be another 10 years before this kind of diagnosis is on the table. Yeah, and I'm hoping that by then the press has maybe forgotten about it because the well, way that they're handling it is a little sensational. I would just like to understand it better. I don't really care about how the press deals with it. Well, it's, uh, they, I just don't enjoy the way they're sen sensationalizing it. Um, like making bigger story. Like, mm, 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 yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's all I want to say about that. Unless you wanted to focus on it more. Uh, hopefully we'll know more in the near future. Maybe we can talk about Ooh, it again. Probably. I expect we will. I don't think it, this it, is a story it's, that's Yeah, it's the away. kind of thing that's going to come up. Yeah. Okay, so then next up we've got... Uh, sorry, do you have anything? Because I've got one more thing, but I'll let you go first. Uh, no, go ahead. 
Okay, so then next up, uh, Extra Credits released a video. Uh, it was an episode on impractical re research, and it was engaging with academia. Um, so it's it's basically about the struggle that video game companies and academia are having in their relationships with each other. Because video game companies will be like, hey, you know, we, we could really use some um, either hard research, so hard academic research, so from the sciences, or alternatively, we would love to see you, um, academia, criticizing our work in the same way that film or, um, or art uh, or literature. So like when I say art, I mean like actual visual art or um, literature gets criticized. Um, and academia is coming back saying, awesome, we would love to do this for you. Give us about three to five years to do it. <laughs> we'll get mm -hmm. back to you. Um, and three to five years in video game time is just as just like I said earlier for like uh, the, the the way that cell phone technology and video game technology just spirals onward and onward and onward. Like video game technology is, I would say, top of its field, right? Like it just in terms of tech, like it just keeps striving forward and forward and forward. It moves pretty quick, yeah. Um, so three to five years is an entire generation. Video game companies like launch and collapse in less time than that. Yeah. And so <laughs> this, uh, this extra credits episode sort of deals with that and deals with where, um, I mean, I feel like we talked about this the very first episode we ever did, how academia, um, isn't what's going to cause the saturation point for, uh, or like, isn't what's going to cause like video game literacy. And this sort of gave me hope because it's like, well, you just have to think about different ways of approaching it so that these intelligent opinions and theories can get introduced into the discourse. Um, and I actually bounced this uh, this video, which I mean, I'll, I'll make sure that there's a link to this in the show notes. But you can you can also find it. Just look for impractical research. It's one of the latest uh, videos as of uh, April um, 2018. Um, uh, I bounced it off of the Geek Therapy Network, and a lot of the discussion that got brought up was that this sort of intelligent engagement with games is happening it's happening um often so like you will get intelligent people talking about um games but it, it it happens in purviews that aren't uh recognized or easily accessible so one example is if academia engages in stuff like this especially the the critical thinking stuff um sometimes there's a paywall or like an inaccessible uh gateway uh so uh game companies may not even know that it's happening um, I don't, Stu, I don't know if you remember when you and I went to university, like the, the journal stuff that we got access to was privileged access because oh, yeah. we were students and part, part of the, uh, part of the, uh, institution, right? As soon as we stopped being students, we lost access to all of those journals and all of the, uh, the licenses that we had to, to get at, uh, at, at some of that stuff. And that's where a lot of this conversation is occurring right now. But alternatively, a lot of these conversations are actually happening on things like podcasts. And so, um, 
this is where the voice gets lost in digital. So it'll be uh, these ideas are stuck in audio or video files and nobody takes the time to transcribe them, which means that they never get any exposure. And even if you did take the time to transcribe them, we're talking like maybe even years of content that you might have to sift Mm -hmm. through. Um, and a keyword search may mean nothing. Um, so it's, it's weird because it's one of those things where there is an oversaturation in certain purviews, but nobody's tracking it because it's not being transcribed or it is happening, but nobody can see it because it's behind a paywall or an institutional wall. Um, so it's, it's just, yeah, there's like the, the one side is, uh, the gaming industry would love to see it happen. They feel that the, the actual push for academia to get involved in game production will be that next step that gets game, better games out there. Um, whereas academia is like, we are actually doing it. <laughs> it's just impossible for you to see it. Yeah. Well, um, there, there's also, I mean, the, the inescapable aspect of it is that the big game companies that have the widest audiences are ruled by CEOs. They're they're not uh, the people in charge of making CEOs decisions and board aren't, rooms, aren't, yes. aren't they're not interested in making the best uh, game as art as is possible. And until that kind of comes around, and it, it's not going to be priority. And I think that that's something that's really hard to pin down. It's the yeah. it's the kind of thing where, um, like in in f- film, might be the easiest to go to when a brilliant director comes out and starts doing new things, like like uh, whatever Scorsese did or you know Love Him or Hate Him. Michael Bay understands certain things and how to make uh, certain movies. kinds of films. Yeah. yeah, and and I think the closest we have to that in terms of game designing would be like Kojima, who you know, managed to do a ton of interesting things kind of on his own and lead a specific charge. And, and, and I don't know if that, I'm, I'm wondering if that kind of thing is like, if eventually it's, it's just the right designers are going to come through and start making games that, you know, can, can tap into a better understanding of storytelling and how every, you know, how mechanics work together and blah, 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 blah. And actually, when those kinds of fully connected pieces start coming out from specific people who have better understanding, I think then it might shed some light or it will still remain utterly ethereal. And we, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, it's not like there's going to be a how to checklist of, of how to make the best game ever. Just like there's not with a film or anything like that, but well, I would expect certain yeah. things to work. It's, it's, um, there's also the, there's also the limiting factor, right? Uh, triple a, is not striving towards academic excellence, right? They're striving towards what's going to sell. Independent games have to fight tooth and nail against the other thousands and thousands of independent games that get released because they don't have the marketing to get to to get communicated, right? Like you need to hope on that lucky strike just that somebody in the game games media like gives your game a shot yeah is interested in it and then like talks about it and starts that conversation that gets you noticed 
um, if you're uh, specifically if you're an indie game. Um, if you're a AAA game, you've just got to hope that you deliver exactly what everybody wants or uh, reiterate it in such a way that it's pleasing to, to the media, right? And even then, even if you just release uh, the same old, same old, the fans of the, in, uh, the, fans of the franchise are going to buy it anyway. <coughs> but I, like, I don't envy indie developers right now um, or even just mm-hmm. like small studio developers because the the sheer amount like i i forget it's staggering like the number of games that get released a day just look on steam the number of games that get released oh, yeah. each day it, it's bananas it, i mean it, it is it, crazy it's really interesting because five ten five or ten years ago when steam wasn't around like there was there was there were a few indie portals that you could kind of scope <laughs> out steam and... was around 10 years ago <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh, Jesus. You're thinking, we're old. Yeah, you're thinking more. I'm thinking years 15, ago. 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. I know, yeah. We are. Old. We are getting old. Um, yeah. There were only a few different portals that you could go to and maybe find different indie games posted or different ones. And now the the because of things like Steam, um, we're yeah we've swung to that opposite problem where now there's this just there's too much there's too much there you can't check it yeah. all out. And yeah, a, it's a lot of it is maybe not quite up to snuff. No, no. Uh, this, yeah. But that's <laughs> but that's okay. God bless you. You're trying. Yeah. I mean, some of you. The rest of you, no. Go away. Stop. Yeah, everybody stop. else is just trying to get Stop. In. Stop making poop. Um. Cool. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I got. Uh, did you have any other opinions on that? Did you watch the video? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, cool. Uh, I think my, my, I don't know, kind of my thought was that a lot of the academic discussion that's going to come, that's going to lead to anything important in the past, in other media, in other mediums, I, I think has always been kind of like a passion-related thing. And I would assume that the existing industries probably didn't you know, scoop up some of these academics with their crazy ideas and ask them, you know, how do we do things more good? Or it's just, it didn't really happen. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen that way. So I think it's going to be a very, I I don't know. I guess I don't expect to see anything major in the gaming industry, like asking for that kind of help from academia. I think it's going to exist in academia at some point almost by accident and then have a very natural flow into game development over time yeah i'm i'm maybe that's just the pessimist in me but i i'm not really optimistic about that kind of uh knowledge handoff Mm, yeah it's it's hard to imagine i mean some triple a uh triple a will always hire consultants uh, like, they'll want to make sure that a gun sounds like a gun and stuff like that, right? But when it comes to hiring an academic, uh, it's I find that it only ever seems to be for uh, historical pieces or making sure that you're being respectful to um, a time period or an instance yeah. or, in some cases, a mythology. Um, so a lot of history, a lot of history professors, I expect, probably get brought in. Um, or classics professor stuff like that, uh, depending on what you're you're pulling from. Um, but it's also interesting to think that uh, there, there's also a lot of metrics that uh, uh, game companies can use now. Like I, I guarantee you, like Steam, we already know Steam. Anybody who uses Steam, 
you're tracked, everything you do is tracked, and the metrics that they get um, are significant and telling. I, I'm pretty confident that I can say that Activision, uh, Blizzard Activision, especially with Battle.net, track basically everything you do. Um, and not, again, this is not an insidious, like, uh, Big Brother kind of thing. It's they want to know what your habits are and they want to figure out how to continue to sell to you. Like, that's what it is. Um, oh, is that almost related to whatever that Basefook company is that's getting shit on right now? <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's when you start selling or allowing that data to be breached um, yeah. that it becomes it can it can be weaponized, and that is where some other company takes the time to bring in um, experts in um, psychology and manipulation. Um, and then use, uh, use their knowledge to subtly suggest stuff to you through advertising, um, which is a little bit insidious. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. Also may not be legal for much longer. Yeah. Uh, now that, now that the word is out, which is one of those things, right? This is, uh, this is another like lapse in consideration. It's another example of, uh, people not considering what, the technology can do and what sort of vulnerabilities get opened up when it, uh, when this technology exists and is accessible by so many people. Yeah. Um, now that, which is, it's so funny cause this is like a horn that was blown by Carl Sagan back in the nineties. He's like, you're taking away the funding by the government or by other institutions to actually research this stuff ethically uh, before you before you put it out to to a bigger population, and all that's going to happen is eventually people are going to learn how to abuse it, or you just aren't going to understand its impact on people. Yeah. Um. But that is nothing new. Um. That's yeah. That's a conversation that's been happening for a long, long time. Yeah. And things and aren't it's... getting better in some parts of the world, so no big deal. Yeah. So let's let's shift out of doom and gloom because that news. I, I I didn't mean for it to be so grumpy. <laughs> one last it's thing. Just, one last thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, just because I forgot that I did have a small news thing I wanted to bring up. The FTC is talking about warranty voiding on things like opening up products. Um, can you elaborate? So, the, F- so you- the FTC is talking about how, you know, if you buy, well, all kinds of things, they got a big ass sticker on them that says warranty is voided if this is opened. Sure. Yep. Um, like laptops and stuff. Yeah. Or including things like consoles. I mean, a lot of like even kitchen appliances or what the heck ever. I'm sure there's tons of stuff. <coughs> the FTC is considering uh, like making that illegal. Hmm. Which consoles i don't know how much uh modding consoles is a thing to get you know the past any of the drm stuff but uh, yeah that that may be something that affects console gaming in the nearish future i think that is one of those things where it's like um, it happens the, anyway, the big companies but. the the hardware companies will be upset but just the hardware companies will be upset yeah um well, does it affect because them that much? It does, can. W- will it affect them modding more? Can. Modding can kill uh, a console. Like, if we learn nothing from the Dreamcast, it's that modding oh. and uh, and piracy can kill consoles. Okay. 
Um, it's what eventually put the nail in the coffin of the DS as well. And that's why they created the three DS, uh, which was Mm. much harder to pirate. Um, and it was just because, uh, people would release games and the next day, uh, they were, they were free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, I, I mean, it's been getting harder. Uh, I was, did we talk about how, uh, piracy was getting, was getting, no, I don't know if that was I ever, don't, I don't think that's an article we ever talked process, about, no. but, um, yeah, they're like the, the large groups of vocal, uh, video game piracy, uh, organizations like on Reddit and 4chan and stuff like that. I remember one of the major ones was just like, yeah, things are getting too hard. So we're just going to dial it back a bit. <laughs> Well, that's fair. Um, I mean, especially with everything being online only, there's so, so enough companies there that really can get around it that way. But yeah. Um, mm, anyway. Yeah, that's and th- that yeah, and that's one of the reasons why Microsoft wanted your machine to touch the internet all the time, right? Um, and it's why most uh, contemporary consoles now. Uh, require uh, system updates if you want to keep playing the games that you want to play um, in the in the form that they're in presently. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It, it's all just security. But uh, I hear what you're saying. But I would also like to, at some point in my life, open up systems and not have to worry about voiding the warranty. Right. I would like to see how things are working on the inside. Yeah. The, I guess the most legitimate. Th- complaint is uh just cleaning them out yeah 100 percent. like the um, dust and fur and whatever else that gets into them is gonna melt your machines like there's no mm-hmm. way around it so there's <laughs> legitimate cause okay. to want to open them yep okay so Stu. yeah um how about we move into the meat of the show which is what uh what we learned from gaming so okay um yeah, this is where we pick a game. We talk about the game. So, do you want to talk about your game first, or do you want me to talk about my game Oh, first? I'm easy. We'll let you decide this time. All right. Well, if I get to decide, then I'm going to make you go first. Ugh, figures. Yeah, yeah. That seems like something you would say. Okay, well... Also, I want to know what your game is. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Me too. Uh, <laughs> today, uh, I've opted to talk about... Uh, it's an older game, surprise. I th- I was trying to think. I th- I, I'm i pretty sure this is the first adventure game I ever played. The first point-and-click adventure game I ever played. Uh, it's Maniac Mansion. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, that's where the... That's uh, the first... Uh, the first ever exposure of the tentacles that would later be in Day of the Tentacle. That's correct. Yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah, sorry, I'll let you do your thing. All right, so this was released in 87. That, that's 1987. Um, Were you born yet? Yes, I was two years old at the time this game was released. Oh, yeah, boy. yeah. So it was released on the Commodore 64. I think that was the first platform it was released on. Uh, and then it was ported to Apple II, uh, IBM, Amiga, Atari, and the NES, actually, as well. I Yep. I actually, I pulled up the Wikipedia article, and when I started reading it, there's just a crap ton of crazy Maniac Mansion trivia that just blew my mind. I had no idea about um, nice. that I, I could talk for three hours about stupid Maniac Mansion trivia. Uh, 
I won't. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but but uh, the only wonky tidbits are like, there was a Maniac Mansion television series. What? Yeah. Like live action or cartoon? Uh, live action. Uh, star- wow. Starring Joe Flaherty. And it was created by Eugene Levy. Really? Really. They did three seasons. Eugene <laughs> Levy? Yeah. Oh, man. Was he like, was he a character uh, in it? I think he appeared at some point, but he wasn't a, like a main character in it. That is really peculiar. Yeah. That is like super strange. That's super crazy. Uh, and yeah, people involved with it were were uh, big names. Um, uh, I want to give a shout out to George the Fat Man Sanger who, who did the music for the NES version, which is hilarious. Because mm, okay. he did a bunch of other stuff later that... Um, on a bunch of other games that I undoubtedly will talk about in the future. But, Maniac Mansion is a point-and-click adventure. It was the first thing made with the Scum engine, uh, which was a neat thing. So, before this time, adventure games were all text-based. And this kind of... It, it poses problems to have a text-based parser to try and, like... Especially if you have weird puzzles. It's a pain yeah. in the ass. Jump! <laughs> Yeah. Type jump, type shoot. Yeah. yeah. So having a point and click thing, th- the bottom of the screen in Maniac Mansion and all the Scum Engine games uh, was just filled with verbs. So you could push, pull, give, open, close, read, walk to, pick up things, give things, turn off and on things, whatever. So all you had to do was click on a verb and then click on something on the screen that you wanted to interact with, and then boom, it would go. So it was it was really good for that. It was like... That was one of the first point and clicks that ever was. So that was really cool. The game setting was there's a big mansion and there's a dude who kidnapped your main character's girlfriend because we were still living in damsel in distress times. So your main character dude picked two of his buddies from a list of eight or ten friends and then you just embarked into this mansion to try and rescue his girlfriend. The puzzles were weird. The family that lived in the mansion was weird. It probably, I don't know, I think you could probably speed run the game in like 10 minutes. Some of the puzzles were a bit arcane, so going through and figuring everything out by hand, by trial and error, was really weird. Very, not very, but problematic enough. The game actually only had one tester, so there were a bunch of deadlocks uh, a bunch of times when you could actually get completely stuck and have to revert to an old saved game or something but it wasn't too too bad um there were because there were so many different characters there were different dialogue trees written there were different ways to finish the game there were you know different quirky interactions with some of the objects in the mansion and some of the other characters and uh it was it was fairly fleshed out for a game of its time the I guess the the meat of it was just a slow puzzle solving kind of exploring this big mansion and trying to uncover what you could to to get deeper into it the antagonists so all the other characters that lived in the mansion there was I think only the green tentacle was relatively good the rest of them would capture you if they ever saw you and take you into this dungeon 
And as long as you had two characters in the dungeon, you could get them out freely. So there wasn't really, in that sense, the most common pitfall of, you know, being able to be caught by people who lived in the mansion didn't actually end your game. And that actually showed you the entrance to the end, like the, the, like the boss room kind of thing. So that was kind of creatively done and it allowed for a safe exploration. It wasn't, it wasn't like every time you go into a new room and there's a new threat, you would, you would die and have to load. Like there wasn't any saves coming necessary, I guess. As long as you didn't hit any of those pitfalls and dead ends, you were perfectly fine to explore as you would. So that made for a very, very open-ended, very weird problem-solvey kind of experience, especially with the different characters. So even once you got through the game one time with a set of characters, you could go through it again, and you might not even know that, oh, this is a problem that only this character can solve. I did this last time. Well, what the hell do I do now? And you end up getting bumped back into this whole... Uh, kind of re-exploration of everything in the mansion to see, okay, what is this character's, you know, what is their bio? What are they supposed to be like? What do they do? How can I utilize that characteristic? I think that's, that's pretty, pretty general. That's good. It's good. Good. That's, so, <laughs> okay. so that, that's Maniac Mansion as a whole. Right. Um, learning from the game, there were a lot of things that were, every now and then you had like small time sensitive things. You did have to manage which characters would be able to be free, not in prison and, you know, be out and about doing whatever. Uh, but it was, it just allowed for, a, some of the puzzle solving was a little bit strange. Some of it felt brute forced. But I don't think that there were that many puzzles that were really crazy. I think there were enough clues most of the time to kind of lead you into things. Uh, I guess, for example, there's a, there's a grate that you need to lift to get into the kind of underneath the, the veranda, underneath the porch of the mansion. And when you try and open the, when you try and pull the, the grate off, it says, it, you know, I'm not strong enough to to move this or it's too heavy, I can't open this. Deep in the mansion, you find something called the Honkomatic, which is really just like a weightlifting thing. And when using it, it your character, whichever character uses it, says, oh, I feel so much stronger now. And you have to use that Honkomatic to be able to open the grate. It's a little bit weird, but the clues in the text that you're given, I, I think if you're you know in that mode of trying to put puzzles together the dots are there most of the time so it was a lot of kind of weird creative problem solving and I think if this was done with a text-based parser it may have been much more difficult to try and get through this game not just because of the parsing but like actually trying to piece everything together would have been a fucking nightmare yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, most most Sierra games with with the mm -hmm. um, 
the the type window were their own special hell. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they, I guess there were some interesting facets to those games where you got to type stuff into that game and into those Sierra games that you would never type anywhere else in the world, you know. And yeah, you, and it's, but sometimes you needed help to figure out exactly which verb you needed to type. Oh, and and the different every now and then there would be a strangely used noun that, like, oh, I'm sorry, that's a, uh, yeah, okay, good job, synonym brain, way to shut off right <laughs> yeah. now. Like there'd be yeah. a speaker instead of an amp, and you'd have to hit amp instead of speaker. You're like, what if you what if you think that's a speaker, not an amp? Yeah, <sighs> yeah, King's Quest tidied up a little bit after that. Um, I think. Sierra got its own version of the Scum Engine. Yeah, they they started to go graphical. I think King's Quest Five had graphics. That was with King Graham. Yeah, and was that Air Today Gone Tomorrow that, or was that Six? Yeah, I think I think I think that was Five. Six was with Alexander. Oh on no, the Six was Air Air Today Gone. Oh, tomorrow. okay. So okay, yeah. so yeah, Six at least I know had had graphics. Same same I as I played a crap ton of Six. I think Space Quest. Four, they turned on the graphics and mm. went with that icon-based interface. But yeah, this scum scum was the the first I was aware of, anyway. Okay. Uh, yeah, which was interesting. Uh, it had great writing, uh, interesting music on the versions that had music, and uh, yeah, it was just a, a wild, creative puzzle-solving brain stretchy you know you're given a ton of pieces it's almost like a lot of jigsaw a lot of jigsawing like you have the list of everything you can interact with so you're not trying to find different nouns you know you can click on a thing on the screen and if it's not important it won't talk about it it won't be usable so you you know i guess the the puzzle space was finite because of that system so you could, you know, think through the list of everything that your characters had and all of the stuff that was available in this room that you hadn't done anything in yet, so you knew there was something there and just slowly piece things together and explore the crazy mansion. So, you, yeah, yeah, puzzle game. <laughs> okay, okay. Puzzle adventure game. Cool. Yeah. Um... I think in terms of educational value, there's definitely a degree of patience required with any of these kind of puzzle games. It, yeah. it, it was very good at getting you to think outside the box. And not just in terms of normal puzzle solving. There was some wacky shit in there that you just had to try. I don't think any of it, like I said, I don't think any of it was super arcane, but a bit of a stretch here and there. But, uh, yeah, and it, and it got you reading a lot, got you thinking a lot. You kind of had to, you slowly grew to understand a little bit about the house. And then trying again with different characters was a, a new and interesting process. Um, Con-wise, it's still a puzzle game. It's still a point-and-click adventure. There are going to be no matter who's doing it, there you will come across a puzzle that you think is stupid. Like, it's at some point in there. 
you might want to solve something that you don't have the right character for. So you might be drawn to a specific kind of puzzle, a specific kind of solution, but just at the beginning of the game, you didn't select the right character. And then you're just SOL. You either restart and get up to that point again, or fuck it, find a different way to beat the game. Hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's um, that that's the gist of monk of uh, of, of main monkey, monkey island. island. <laughs> that's the gist of monkey island. <laughs> <laughs> that's the gist. That's of the gist island. of monkey island and maniac mansion. Wow, and all the other that's ones. Fun. That's fun. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Uh, Lucas Hearts, um, Scum Engine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, cool. I that I never played it. Yeah. That is one yeah. of the ones that I never played. Yeah. Um, I played mostly Sierra. Uh, I played a little. I forget which police quest I played, but I got tired of it and stopped playing mm-hmm. it. Um, but we played. Uh, I think it was Space Quest all the way through. And when I say we, I mean my brother, myself, and I. Um, and it's because we needed. To collaborate, to think of all the verbs that would be required. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that game had a lot of dead end states, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, point and click adventures. Some people like them. Some people hate them. Some people don't even know they exist. Yeah. Well, it, it is kind of a shame because I think some of them are, are really interesting. So, yeah, it's I don't know. I, it's it's a fun experience to go through, mm-hmm. even if you don't, even if you don't have the patience or the time mm-hmm. in this case for to to actually go through it. Even if you give it a, a small try and just sit there with a walkthrough and refer to it if you need to, just to get a feel for the reading, for the characters, for the the way they did some of that dialogue. So, yeah, it was all it's an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. A little bit different than Portal. <laughs> yeah, a more yeah, contemporary, well-known puzzle game. <coughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so, are you all spent? I think so. Okay. I think so. Well, thank you for talking about Maniac Mansion. Um, my game is very contemporary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, released January 2018, um, and I would be lying if I said that I spent nearly enough time with it, but I wanted to talk about it anyways, because number one, it's it's timely, and number two, uh, also not in this order, sorry, so A, timely, um, B, uh, the learning process that is occurring while I play it is really interesting. So the game I want to talk about today, and the game I'm going to talk about today, is Monster Hunter World. Uh, so it's designed by Capcom, published by Capcom, released January 2018. Uh, so it's a 3D... God. A 3D instance-based monster hunting game. Um, so when you are in the instances... Uh, and when I say instance, I mean you initiate a mission or a hunt, and then um, you do that from your central base or your hub. And then once you start that mission, the instance starts, and that means that it's sort of like an isolated world where it becomes populated and you engage with that instance for however long you're in there or for the set time period. 
Um, and it's you spend a lot of time visiting the same map, so going into the same instances, but um, things will change, like monsters will move or migrate or shift around, or there'll be new monsters in different places. Um, so uh, it, it does sort of liven the whole experience up. Also, the AI algorithms, like the stuff that these, these uh, monsters do naturally, um, can often have them end up in places completely different from where they would be in the exact same hunt at the exact same time. Like it, it's, it's really interesting how the world reacts to itself as well as you while you're in it. Um, and I feel like there's a lot I'm going to be able to talk about, but I want to talk about the, the core mechanics first. So how you play this game is you have to refine your skills with whatever weapon it is that you choose, and there are 14 different weapons, um, whatever weapon you choose to use, um, and generally you're going to end up using your manual dexterity and learned abilities, and when I say learned abilities, I mean the stuff that you're actually learning, not the stuff that your character is leveling up and getting. So the stuff that you're learning as you play the game to fight escalatingly more dangerous monsters which you then use, after you've killed them, as materials to build uh, gear and, and weapons. So, that is the crux of what this game is. Um, a lot of people have already talked about this game in a lot of different venues. Um, the pros and cons, I mean, I will definitely go over them, but in terms of educational significance and educational value, this game forces you to this is one of those sort of um delayed gratification games um in that you have to keep playing and you have to keep getting better or else you will never get to that end state and uh, so it, it it's one of those uh games where you have to make the choice you have to dedicate yourself to whatever weapon it is that you want to get better at um you're more than welcome to switch weapons um, in between instances, go back, try it again. Um, but in general, once you, you pick a weapon, you focus on it, you master it, and then the game doesn't get boring because there's so many different like sets of gear and, and, and things that you can do to just keep engaging in the, uh, basically the intended spiral. So grinding, um, grinding in this game, uh, so far for me, it hasn't been work. It has been fun because the world is so alive and so interesting. Um, and to be fair, I've only put about 10, maybe 15 hours in, but for a guy who has no time, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> like that is, uh, that's a lot more time than, uh, I expected I would be able to have. Um, so, What's actually going on here? Um, because when I, when I want to talk about it, educational stuff, what I feel like we haven't been doing properly is discussing the way that games teach you how to play. Um, like, especially contemporary games, the tutorials are generally built in. Um, the game design for Monster Hunter World and the tutorials that are included, the tutorials are these nasty little um, hard-to-read text boxes. Um, that sometimes have a video and sometimes they don't. Uh, and if you ask me, the game has everything in place to teach you how to play, 
limitedly. The best way to learn how to play this game and the best way to learn is to uh, absolutely take advantage of the online assets that exist. Um, how I learned how to start playing the weapons that I wanted to get better at was I went to YouTube, I googled Monster Hunter World and the weapon that I was interested in, and there are, for each weapon, there has to be at least 500-600 different videos from different content creators, just an active, engaged community that wants to help you get better at the game so that you can get into the game and maybe help other people as well moving forward. And that is a very interesting thing. Like, that's one of the advantages of actually talking about a game that has been released recently and watching how the community spirals out and grows and encourages and nourishes itself. Um... Like, it's, it's really interesting to think that between January and now, there are thousands and thousands of videos for this game trying to teach you. Also, there's, wiki, uh, there's wikis, all kinds of stuff like that, trying to teach you and guide you through a game that has systems that are very hard to approach. <laughs> and... Um, and enemies that are, are uh, if, if you are encountering them for the first, second, even third time, uh, can be very difficult to understand um, if, if you aren't good at reading their movements. Um, so all of that said, what the game does do very well, and um, it's, it is a very beautiful game, is when you are out on a hunt hunting a monster, which of course is the, the literally the, the, the theme of the game. The way that those monsters move, the body language, um, and then just the way that they react when, say, you start attacking them, or if you get into their territory, or you aggravate them in any way, um, or even if you just leave them alone, um, like some, some animals will just graze, they aren't very easily aggravated. Um, all of this stuff is communicated very well. You know when a monster's pissed off. You know when a monster is upset at you or dangerous. Like, th this is stuff that is all really, really well communicated, and it feels natural. Um, and it's it's great to engage with it. Like, um, oh, I'm just, I'm trying to think. Like, I, I've, I've got a few stories of glory I don't have nearly enough because I haven't spent enough time with the game. Um... But I encountered an Anjanath, which is uh, the T-Rex. So, like, the, the big, what you think is, like, the big bad. Like, you learn that there are bigger monsters than the biggest monster you encounter at first. Um, but, uh, like, the T-Rex, my brother, <coughs> who is also, he's been playing this game. He's got over 250 hours logged. Um, like, he just went and he fought uh, T-Rex, and I just sort of watched him from far away, and then I'm, I was like, you know what, maybe I can help him, uh, shot a, f uh, I think I, like, threw some rocks or something at it, and it got upset, and it stomped me, and I died in one hit, um, and my brother was just like, oh yeah, I forgot that you could die so easily, he's just like, I'm, I'm used to fighting these things, and it's just the difference in experience and progression, like, my brother has logged the time, also has the, the gear, um, but also just the sense when fighting this creature, like roll out of the way of the feet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if it's running at you move. Um, or if you're as weak as I am, go hide in a bush and make sure it can't see you because as long as you're not moving, it can't see you. Um, very much like a T-Rex. Um, 
And it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, like my brother is clearly an expert at this game, or at least very, very good at hunting um, all of the lower tier stuff. And I still have so much to learn. Now, uh, something that my brother doesn't know uh, is later I tried to fight a T-Rex by myself again. (laughs) Uh, I'll let you try and guess how that ended, because it didn't go so well. Um but the thing is, like, I want to learn and I want to get better, uh, but it's one of those games that the pacing is also actually pretty good. The escalation of the the difficulty of monsters is, I think, decent. Um, I haven't hit, like, a spike that was so big that I couldn't surpass it. I have fought a monster that it almost took me 50 minutes to take it down, um, which is crazy to say when I think about, like, how much spare time I have. But I was actually able to dedicate an amount of time to hunt this thing through the map while trying to avoid other dangerous monsters or just completely ignoring them. Because at one point I just wanted to bring this thing down. Um, but it's interesting. Like you start to become familiar with the geography of this uh, this setting. Like it's a it's a uh, quotation marks new world, uh, just vibrant jungle and like sea uh, beaches and all kinds of like weird settings um so you're like climbing up vines and doing all kinds of crazy stuff the movement in it is so much better than any old uh, monster hunter game i played three and four and the movement is so much more fluid things feel a little bit tighter and a little bit smoother um in a way that older monster hunters were kind of blocky and rigid and awkward and the game just feels a lot more approachable than the old ones, even if its tutorials are kind of lacking. Its own in, in-house tutorials are kind of lacking. Um, and I enjoy that. I, I enjoy that it's it's well-paced. Um, and I've just been having a hell of a time with this game. I've been really, really enjoying it. Um, like, I thought that I might like it, um, but both playing with other people and playing by myself, I have enjoyed both. And I can, I think that I could easily get lost for hours doing both. So cons for this game, um, just to touch on, uh, this game's hard, right? Um, I can't just walk up to a T-Rex and kill it because I need to spend time learning how it moves, what its weaknesses are, where I need to hit it, Whatever weapon I'm using, I need to figure out how I can hit it in its weak spots. Like, um, I just decided to use a bow because I wanted precision, um, which means I can hit places that most other people can't. But um, I need to be able to line up that shot and make sure that the monster stays still or um, or adapt with the monster, right? Whereas other people are actually going up to this thing and whacking it with melee weapons. And that's just a whole other set of experiences. <laughs> so that's, that's another thing. Like, yeah. people are getting different skill sets than me. Uh, learning how to play because as it turns out um, ranged weapons aren't as popular in this game as melee Uh, there are three uh, there are effectively three uh, ranged weapons uh, versus the myriad of um, of melee weapons so basically I've chosen to be a minority off the bat because I want to get better at ranged weapons because the other games I played I played melee Um, but I'm also really enjoying it Um, and I'm having some some very sort of interesting experiences with it, and I'm becoming proficient in a way that nobody else that I play with is. Um, 
and I'm enjoying that too. Like that's that's something that's really interesting. But yeah, cons hard game in 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 house tutorial isn't the best. Um, hmm. I wonder what else I could say. If the community didn't exist, this would be a very unapproachable game. But because the community exists, because it's a hot topic, um, there is so much, so much online content. Um, so, like, the, the, the mitigation of what would be a con, uh, because the game is so popular, like, that's, I, I do appreciate that. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think of uh, what else. Uh, I mean, the writing isn't awesome. <laughs> like it's <laughs> yeah, <coughs> it's a Capcom Monster Hunter game, and uh, sometimes Capcom has good writing, but this is not one of those games. It's just kind of <laughs> hokey. It's like, oh, this is a new world. Oh, we're following these big monsters because they're big monsters. We don't know why they're, they're here. Delicious. We're gonna research them by killing. Uh, you know, it's just it's yeah, <coughs> yeah. Uh, a very, very, very flimsy story, but otherwise, like the the gameplay makes up for it in a really, really big way. Um, and that's, I think that maybe kind of what all I have to say. Like, uh, in, in, I can summarize, but if you have any questions well, you want to yeah, ask me before I do, go right yeah, ahead. Yeah. So, uh, two two things stand out. Um, the first being how different are the single player and multiplayer experiences? Hmm. I did not notice a bump in difficulty uh, when my brother showed up. There was no increase in monsters, no increase in spawn rate or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I think that it is just a question of collaboration. So there's the real possibility that adding somebody to the game could make it easier. Um, but alternatively, if you add someone who doesn't know what they're doing... Um, they may be an effective distraction for a monster for a limited amount of time, but ultimately they, they might also be dead weight. Um, I think you can only like the term is being carted because when you die, basically your little cat friend puts you on a cart and runs you back to camp. I'm not sure if the instance ends once one of your your um, party members has been carded a certain number of times or if everybody can keep playing because I, I haven't been that shitty yet. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I kind of wonder if you get penalized in that if you can't all stay alive long enough uh, to finish the hunt that you just don't finish it. Hmm. But I'm, I'm thinking that it's an ease thing. Like it, it makes things easier. Cause I'm pretty sure there are probably end game monsters Where you that need you could. To... So oh, yeah, okay. that you could solo theoretically, but you have to be real good. Okay. Um, and so like the strength and numbers thing is real in this game and it can help you move through the game a little faster. Okay. But that said, there's a lot of reasons to keep going back to the exact same monsters to fight them. So, Huh. Well, that half touches on my other question. Uh, within any given weapon that you're choosing to get better with, how repetitious is the game loop? Because that, that, that is such a big part of how these games teach us things. Is that right. repetition? Um, so I used the bow. The bow is one of the most limited weapons you can, you can get um, in that it has... You, you aim... 
and then you can charge your shot up to one, two, I think it's either one, two, and depending on the quality of your bow, you can even go to a third level of charge. Um, and then you can choose to either just continue straight shooting or there are, uh, uh, like trick shots you can do. Um, so, uh, like a, basically like a shotgun blast scatter where you shoot a bunch of arrows, um, or, uh, you shoot straight up and then the arrows come down in a cascade so that you're actually hitting it from a different angle. So if the creature has weak spots on its back or something, you can hit them. Um, so like you can arc, um, and that is the most limited weapon. Most other weapons have combos. Uh, so it's just like you need to push certain buttons in a certain uh, pattern and you can initiate these combos. Um, and there are many for each weapon. More importantly, uh, there are elemental and um, status characteristics that can be added to your weapon. You can upgrade your weapons. Um, so the trick is honestly learning how to best utilize the weapon that you have and then deciding what upgrade path you want to go down. Um, so that decides basically what stuff you're going to hunt. So an Anjananth, which is the T-Rex, the uh, is actually inherently uh, of a fire-based creature. Like it actually has a gland that lets it spit fire. Um, when you build stuff out of its body parts, you create fire elemental gear and fire elemental weapons um so uh, like th that is something you might want to consider when you're going on a hunt maybe against an aquatic creature where that kit won't matter um so you've you've actually got to take the time to research learn and there are there are ways to do this like you can actually like track their footprints you can pick up their dung when you kill them of course uh, it counts as research towards them um, but you, the more that you engage with a creature, the more you understand it, the better you are at tracking it on a map. Um, but if you've never encountered a creature before, not only does it not show up on the map, but if it runs away from you, it's a lot harder to track and you have no idea what it is going into the fight. So it might have, um, elemental characteristics that are completely opposed to you. And that's why there's the push to, um, keep fighting and getting different gear. Now, additionally, each set of gear has, has different characteristics and different buffs that you can put on it. Me, as a person playing with the bow, the bow is limited in its actual combos that I can do, but it makes up for it in what I can put on my arrows. So, based on what bow I'm using, I can coat my, my uh, arrows in, so a paralytic, so I can paralyze stuff if I shoot it, or an explosive, so I can basically, like, I have explosive-tipped arrows. Or poison, so I can do damage over time. Um, or, and I can, I can switch these coatings on the fly as long as I have enough time to basically perform the action. Um, so, if none of this sounds fun, then maybe Monster Hunter isn't for you. But, like, if... Uh, I mean, a lot of this is, is Twitch play as well. Um, there is stuff that's going on here in Capcom that or in Capcom in uh, monster hunter. That's reminding me why Capcom is so good at fighters or at least started out as, at, at, as fighters because <coughs> started out with fighters because what they do, like their visual visual cues are so good. 
um, like being able to see what the monster is going to do and then predict what the monster is going to do. Like I, there are a few monsters that I've engaged with enough that I now know their patterns. I know what, what they are likely to do. Um, like whether they're going to roll, whether they're going to lunge, whether they're going to flee. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's about learning and recognizing patterns, but it's also wrapped up in a beautiful, like lizard and jungle skin. Did that answer your question? I got a little carried away there. Uh, Kind kind of, yeah. It's, it's, cool. it, yeah. So it, it does boil down to hunt, kill, hunt, kill, hunt, kill. That's what the game yeah. is, 100%, uh, with a weak story. But the thing is, the mechanics, like the, oh, the oh, actual yeah. It's play, about the mechanics, yeah, yeah. 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 The play is so fun <coughs> that, and engaging that, the the weak story doesn't matter. Yeah. And then in a lot of ways it's it's sort of like if you enjoy stuff like Diablo, um the the grind for better gear, right? Like this this game is for you. Um as long as you can also play Twitch games instead of just uh well Diablo has Twitch moments, but um eh. I would say that this game it's a little more important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, so for me, uh, again, like to summarize uh, the pros and cons, we can leave them behind. What this game really trains you to do um, is pattern recognition uh, in a big, big way. Um, and there are so many monsters and creatures that inhabit this world that you need to do it each time you encounter a new one. Um, the inherent message of the game isn't great. Uh, really it's, it's a clone, uh, it's a colonial story. Yeah. Like you're going, you're conquering the wild, um, again, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the pattern recognition is huge. The community aspect of it is really interesting. Like so many people just working together to put together the information that I've already used to help myself is, uh, is really cool. Um, also my brother is just so excited that I'm playing that he, he goes out of his way to play with me when he can. Nice. And that's, that's, that's nice. Really cool too, yeah. Um, yeah, like actually engaging in this game with excited people gets you more excited to play it, uh, which is common for most games. But, um, yeah, if you have a good crew, even just, um, even just, uh, hunting with two people. So like yourself and somebody else like that, that is fulfilling. way more fun. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, and then you've got like shared stories. It's like that, that monster that took forever to hunt and then you finally did it or, you know, yeah. something else showed up and ruined your entire day. Um, those are still stories that, that are, are something that you can share. So, um, that, that has some very significant value and can be pretty formative. Um, or at least memorable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So that's uh, that's all I got to say about Monster Hunter World. I'm going to keep playing this game for a while. Hopefully it doesn't get in the way of uh, other stuff. It's definitely not going to get in the way of my life because that's not how I roll. Yeah. But um, I am enjoying it. Because you are not addicted to video games. Well. Just enjoy them. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> 
the uh, the jury and um, the diagnosis is out on that one. But we'll uh, we'll take you. You're still a mostly functional human being, so yeah, yeah. I hope so. Um, okay, so I guess that's it. That's it for the the meat of the show. Um, so let's get into. Uh, let's get into what you can teach us. So Greg had one more part of Zmail we wanted to talk about, and I also have an email from Jonathan. Do you remember what Greg's final part of his email was, or do you want me to open it up and look? Um, I didn't have that up. Here, I'm going to look right now. Sesame score. Stu Gritter. Hi, Stu. Okay, keep it short. Um, hold it. No, I might be wrong. Yeah, his second part was the triple A triple A which we got through. Yeah, I, I didn't think that there was anything. Okay, sorry, yeah. Greg. You can write another email. Yeah, now he has to. <laughs> yeah, go right ahead. Um, okay, so you know what? We'll we'll just jump into Jonathan's then, which I closed to look at Greg's. Okay, so <laughs> here, so Jonathan, friend of the show, writes in. I'm gonna take a drink. Mm. Yeah. Okay, VR part two. Hopefully it's part two. Hmm. Not sure what episode this will be on. Uh, it'll be on episode 21, which we are <laughs> recording right now. Hi, Jonathan. Okay. Hey, gents. Uh, for starters, I wanted to talk about Stardew Valley. Chase, you mentioned that you are almost finished. How many hours did you end up putting it in? Uh, just off the top of my head, I think about 65, 70. Um, that's how long it takes you to get to the soft end of yeah, the game. Yeah. Um, I totally gamed the system and built as many uh, blueberries as I could. For those who don't know, spoilers, blueberries are the most valuable to sell. Uh, well, yeah, berries in general are the most uh, the, the ones that release more than one berry um, in a season are definitely the most valuable to sell. Um, they also populate more than one crop per plant, which mm-hmm. I just explained, and continue to grow after production. Um, yeah, that's pretty pretty freaking cool. That's what I do too. Um, Stu mentioned an interesting thing about how the Walmart Corporation, uh, Jaja, um, versus farmers' capitalism to just make a profit while both are a means to an end, the game presents one stark difference that teaches a life lesson. The game lets you progress by fulfilling the town's requests by growing or finding items. You are then rewarded with another item or uh, or cedar, etc. In addition, you earn trust and respect with the individual. This system helps teach that by helping others, you can help yourself, and that in the end, you should try to win together. Okay. Chase, I noticed you didn't talk about the fishing minigame. Did you like it? I really enjoyed the dungeon crawling aspect, at least until the desert. That was kind of dragging on. Um, Okay, so do I like the fishing minigame mechanic? Initially, I didn't care for it. Now, I'm ambivalent to it. Um, (laughs) Fishing was a means to an end. I just fished to get the stuff for the... um, community center uh uh, mm. Mm -hmm. there are a number of fishing games that i have played i know that some people really really enjoy fishing games but fishing has never really been my thing even in real life i've fished uh seven times total and i can remember them all and 
mostly I remember them because I was sitting around not doing anything. Um, <laughs> waiting for something to happen, and I don't like that occurring in a video game too often. Um, I didn't think the fishing was too hard, and I like how as you level you get better at fishing. Like, um, the more you fish, the better you mm. fish. Uh, that's nice. Um, or the easier it is to fish. So, moving on. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Stu, for helping me think about uh, pronunciation. Uh, we play consoles and spend the time and spend the time to console each other. Console. Oh, wow. I like yeah. it. I like what you yeah. did there. Interesting how English works. Um, console each other. Consoles. I remember that one. <laughs> I remember that. Okay, so right. VR. As you may or may not remember, I'm, a gra- I'm in a graduate program for modeling and simulation. When Stu mentioned how simulations were used to help train pilots, but couldn't think of many other fields, I lit up. Finally, a chance to educate a little. Uh, one venue I like, or one venue is much like Chase talked about, which is architecture. Other fields include uh, yeah. psychology, which we already discussed at length, Healthcare, military, uh, military training, driving, and education, to name a few. Among pilots, emergency care workers, surgeons, soldiers, each branch, and even uh, teachers use simulators to help them uh, with their career paths. <coughs> you can find really interesting application uh, here at, uh, and then he just lists um, a link, which is teachlive.org or teachlive.org, depending on how it's supposed to be said. The simulation department at UCF worked with the education department and created a simulation where teachers could interact with unruly and somewhat challenging students in a virtual world. This is especially helpful for teachers who would like to help handicapped children. By interacting with a model, teachers can learn to react certain ways without potentially harming the real live child. Even cooler is that the students in the classroom could be played by live actors linked miles away in the simulation department. I want that job. Um, wow. Yeah. You, you want to be the unruly <laughs> oh, child? Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised. <laughs> um, this way, the students would truly act real instead of a, like an algorithm. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I also suggest you guys check out www.iitsec.org. Um, here is the webpage for the biggest simulation conference in the world. Companies from all over gather uh, to display their technology and bid for contracts. One of the coolest things that I saw outside of tanks that are uh, shooting in alternate realities, that does sound pretty cool, uh, was an application for combined technologies. Uh, motion capture technology was used in coordination with VR. Uh, in this showing, they used a basketball and another person and showed how the movements could be tracked by the person wearing the VR headset. Really cool stuff. Oh, and I also shot at virtual planes using a rocket launcher peripheral. Nice. Mm, terrorist training. I like it. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. 
but interesting. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, finally, <laughs> some of my own experiences with VR occurred as an undergraduate student. I participated in... Uh, I, <laughs> like, sorry, I'm still stuck on my being an idiot. Um, I participated in a psychology study and went through a theme park in VR. Um, this study introduced smells that smells that would create triggers to make me think I was in the park. Oh, so they probably had smells on hand. The study was a pilot to a larger study where the researchers were trying to create additional environments. Um, Stu was talking about the mirror trick with the phantom uh, nerve pain. Well, if this pans out, they are trying to create the ability to transport hospital patients without moving them. By strapping a VR set on a terminally ill patient, perhaps they could uh, spend their days on the beach in VR instead of lonely in a sick bed, which, mm-hmm. in my personal opinion, would be awesome. Um, even simulated, if the immersion is good enough and you can just take a sick person out of that, um, just because, especially terminally ill, um, spending your last days in a, in a bed in a hospital is not just unpleasant, but it's terribly sad. So that sounds like an awesome application. Uh, and that's the end of his email. He <laughs> doesn't even say goodbye. Jonathan, say goodbye <laughs> next time. <laughs> we're, we're good enough friends. You can say goodbye. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I appreciate mm-hmm. that, Jonathan. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to include a lot of that. Uh, I reached out to um, uh, folks in the Geek Therapy Network, and I got only one or two answers. Most of them aren't really involved in uh, in VR at all, but some of them knew people who were and sort of uh, bounced me to their to their websites. Um, I'm thinking maybe next episode I'll take the time to compile what I did learn. Um, or I can just, you know what? No, I'll just throw it in the, uh, whatever site it is that people told me to check out. (laughs) I will throw it in the, um, the show notes as well. So I, I do think that that, that, that email brings up a couple of other things. Cause I like, I think the, the first thing that hit me was, um, Okay, I'm gonna talk about the second thing first because I think it's a bit shorter. Was the the okay. that um, uh, not only are patients a, a good subject for that VR stuff, but the first remote surgery was actually done in 2001. I quick looked it up because I, I thought it was more recent than that, but where a surgeon was that's ba- a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, did the operation, of, you know, through through what they call a telepresence. So they're just not there. They're operating remotely, but that's, I mean, VR is going to be, going to make that a little bit better in a little bit. Yeah. And it's only, I'm assuming the technology has only improved. I would imagine so. Like, um, I mean, not to draw heavily on a surgeon whose time is already precious, but the thought of just knowing that if there isn't a surgeon in a region, like in an area. Oh yeah that as long as you have the devices in place, you can well, that's just, still get the yeah, expertise. Yeah, that's just it. Right? Now you're not flying, a, a, you know, your specialist for six hours to save somebody's life. And then six yeah, hours, that's, that, that, that's 12 hours of yeah. a surgeon, like and an whatever, expert's time that's like, let them save people kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other 
the other quick thing that I, I thought of was some of the things listed that we're using VR to train people for, like driving and flying. Um, it doesn't work as well with the, the teaching, but some of those jobs, I think we're going to see those be the first replaced by AI. And I'm, I'm really now extra curious about the relationship between VR and AI. And that's something that I thought that that email prompted that I'm going to have to investigate. And I, and I think mm. could be super, super interesting, like tra training people to drive anything or fly anything that like we're seeing the automated applications already. Yes. In our lifetime, I expect we will see a transition from um, manual flight to automatic, right? Um, or manual flight and driving to automatic mm -hmm. flight and driving, which could be really easily fucked up when the power goes out. <laughs> but um, um, yeah. I'm sure there will be fail safes and I, yeah. manual yeah, will always be still an be there. But even, yeah. I mean, unless you're going to replace a, a, a real life teacher with a robot that has, you know, a taser for the kid who puts gum under their desk or something then that's i i think that's going to remain just a training mm, application and not so much a yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean also like just to reiterate the um uh, like flights right now are almost entirely automated yeah. except for the landings yeah. right and even then like if you can just get the robot to do the landing then the the pilot is there as a courtesy yeah. and when things go real wrong yeah. um and and to their credit, there are many stories of when things go wrong. Pilots usually do a bang up job, so good yep. good job, all y'all. Yes, yes, they get the training for a yeah. reason. Um, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, I don't really have a lot of thoughts other than the stuff I said, yeah. like the the patient stuff, the terminally ill yeah. patient stuff. Um, that that's huge. Uh, I mean, I've, I forget who I was talking to, but we were joking about how when we get older, either we're all going to be playing video games or we're all just going to be in VR headsets, yeah. right? Um, like nursing homes will be a very different thing. Basically um, arcades. Yeah. <laughs> um, entirely possible. And I just, I wonder because like the, 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 I've spent a lot of time in children's hospitals and I know what video games uh, and immersion into environments like that can do. Like video games are a pleasant escape away from um, the reality of living in a hospital mm -hmm. um, or an extended stay. Whereas like VR headsets and immersion could be the closest thing to a true escape. Um, and I don't know if that's healthy, but let's be honest, when we switch back to the terminally ill patient, um, yeah. the way that these individuals often get treated anyway, or it, it's really just like, is it healthy or not? At the end of the day, if they want to be immersed in, in these experiences rather than, um, you know, living with the pain and loneliness, I do fail to see the issue so ready player one <laughs> ah oasis here we come um yeah hmm yeah jonathan i really do i appreciate this email that was that was some mm -hmm. good stuff so uh 
Whew. Okay, so Stu, let's uh, let's move into our next section, which is what we've been playing. Yeah. Um, what have you been playing, Stu? You know what? I played a couple games of Smite. Shocked. Yeah. Uh, I I am shocked. I actually I I did uh, I I played a couple quick <coughs> rounds of Risk of Rain for shits and giggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually also pulled up Oxygen Not Included for. Yeah, uh, half hour, hour and, and started a new, a new place that probably will uh, never be opened <laughs> up ever again. Science Dwarf Fortress. Um, yeah, but I, actually, the most significant thing I listened to a let's play of The Last of Us. Okay. And yeah, it's unfortunate that it was a PlayStation exclusive because I think I would have given that a shot. <laughs> That's too bad. I think I can get the remastered. Um, oh, well, it's yeah, too late. It's spoiled for me now. But okay, um, I, I, hmm. I I think that that's a game where the I don't know the mechanics would kind of do it for me, but not as much as the the story and the experience of it all. I think. I think that understood. I think that it's a. I think it's a pretty decent example of actually what we talked about earlier about good writing and uh, good, pretty solid game design. Like as as mm-hmm. as an experience. Well, oh, <laughs> Stu, when you get that mad scientist alchemy of good writing and good game mechanics, um, like that, it's pretty heavenly. That's the game. Yeah, that's the game that's really hard to walk away yeah. from, right? Um, and the one that sticks with you for such a long yeah. time. Uh, a lot of it in The Last of Us, I think, is the writing. I do think the mechanics are. Like, because I'm a mechanics guy, I find the mechanics a bit shallow. But yeah. that's that's just me being douchey. I mm-hmm. think it's a really good experience. <laughs> I'm accustomed yeah. to it. <laughs> um, <coughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, did you play anything else? or No, no, that's it. Okay, well, for me, uh, this will go mostly quick. Um, playing a lot of Mario Odyssey. Um, it's actually pretty cute, uh, because my son loves to watch me play and loves to try and play a little bit. And when he wants to, he makes Mario sounds. Um, I think, I think maybe I brought that up last episode, but he does it a lot more now. Um, (laughs) and he wants to watch it a lot more now. So it's kind of funny. He'll just walk around the, uh, the, the front room just being like, woohoo, Fantastic. Um, I kind of want, like, I secretly want to get Mario Kart because um, uh, he says a lot more in that. Yeah. Like, actually says stuff. Um, <clears throat> and Luigi's in there, too, so I need to introduce him to yeah, Luigi. Yeah. Um, uh, Mario Odyssey, actually a lot more lonely than you might think. Mar- it's really just Mario and his hat. Um, but I haven't gotten to the end, so I can't confirm if there are anybody else you can play, but I don't think there is. Um so then I've also been playing Monster Hunter World because um, I said I was going to pick up an Xbox, but that was a lie. Um, <laughs> I picked up a PlayStation uh, for streaming, um, and we cut the cable, which means that in a couple of months, my decision will pay for itself. Because mm. um, that's the way cable yeah. works. Uh, bumped my internet up to unlimited and the fastest it could be for an extra 10 bucks. then got a discount for saying that I wouldn't switch providers that knocked 10 bucks off. So basically I, I just cut the cost of internet and now can watch whatever I want for as much. Yeah. At whatever quality I want. That's Um, a good thing. It's amazing. 
it's amazing. I just turned everything up and I watched it through the PlayStation uh, 4, and it's nice. It all looks nice. great. So very happy. Um, also picked up Dragon Ball Fighters, um, which is the fighting game, um, and have not spent enough time with it. I spent a little bit of time with it, and I like it. It's a smooth interface. I like the controls, but I don't know enough of what's going on yet. And that was done by the guys who do Blaze Blue and um, that other one. Ah, yes. But the good anime fighters. Um, the ones that have basically picked up the torch where Capcom has kind of stumbled. <clears throat> like, stop making 3D fighters and trying to sell me all kinds of stuff and just make a good, balanced fighting game. Um, and they did it. And Dragon Ball Fighters actually replaced Street Fighter Five in Evo this year. So, nice. Whoops. Well done. <laughs> whoops. Way to go, Capcom. Yeah. Um, and way to go, Arc Systems. I think it's Arc Systems that does uh, Dragon Ball Fighters. But that's all I've got. I haven't spent enough time to talk about Dragon Ball Fighters, and I talked more than enough about uh, Monster Hunter World. <laughs> so, so Stu. Uh, I think that might be bringing us close to a close. Um, so I'm going to thank the audience yeah. uh, for taking the time to hang out with us. Um, and I hope that uh, you have all enjoyed your stay and you learned a thing or two, maybe about me, maybe about Stu, maybe about yourselves. Wouldn't um, that be good? Wouldn't that be good? Uh, Stu, do you have anything to plug for the audience this week? Um, the, the, the LP that I listened to was from Christopher Odd. Okay. Who's a YouTube dude who does things. He's actually Canadian as well, so good job, you. Okay, I'll make sure to uh, include a link <laughs> to his in channel. the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's done some neat stuff. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um... And I enjoy, I enjoy his particular style of LP. It was good. Well, maybe I'll check it out. Uh, anything else? I think I think that's it. I think that's it. Okay. So then uh, for me, for this week, I'm going to say um, a big thank you to Jonathan for the email. Yeah. Again, thank you so much. That was really good. Um, I'm going to thank Joe, uh, Joe Gottlieb, who does our art. Um, so thank you again, Joe, for the art. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Stu, I know about the, the one placeholder picture that I keep forgetting <laughs> to take out on the website. I'm going to deal with that. So thank you, Stu, for not even having to say anything. I know. Um, I'm also going to thank Dimitri who did our music. Yeah. I just, uh, I like to bring that up again. Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoy our intro slash outro. And Dimitri, you did a great job. If you want to know more about Dimitri and uh, his work, he's on Fiverr. Um, I've got links to his stuff that is on the website. It is the first um, piece of audio and blog that I ever put up. So just scroll all the way through the list and it, it talks about our intro and how to uh, check out Dimitri's work because, man, this guy, he'll uh, he'll move mountains for you if you ask him to and throw a little money at him. <laughs> so... Um, Next up, we've got, uh, I want to do a shout out for extra credits. If you've never seen a video, just oh, pop yeah, over to their YouTube. They've got some great stuff. They've got some, they've got at least one or two things that you might be interested in. Um, if you are interested in at all, uh, game design, 
they're also starting to do some really sort of weird tangents. Stu, they just started an extra mythology series. I don't know if you saw hmm. that. And they started with the Acer Vanier War. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, but they, I mean, uh, full disclosure, they got funded by um, uh, by Gods of War or God of War oh, okay. um, because yeah. I guess he's going to start ripping through the <laughs> Norse pantheon cool. now because there's no more <laughs> no Roman more, or Greeks. No more Greek <laughs> but uh yeah so that was fun and that's a series they're gonna start and i'm i'm looking forward to that because they did an okay job in about five to six minutes explaining the acer vanier war uh for norse mythology uh which is not easy to do um but they did it uh if kratos is gonna uh, go visit all those norse gods uh, that's i might have to pay attention uh, to that yeah, I'm I'm interested to see. Uh, now that I've got a PlayStation and it's an exclusive, I might actually okay, pick it mind. up. Um, hey, oh, <laughs> sorry, Stu. You can watch my Let's yep. Plays. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, they do they do extra history as well. Um, they do games you uh, may not have tried, which uh, I think that's how I learned about a couple of games that I've I've played. Um, I don't. Um, we're not going to talk about that because I want us to actually have a group talk about that game, so maybe I won't bring it up. Um, but yeah, extra credits, probably something there for you and you just don't realize yeah. it yet if you've never visited. Um, but that's all I've got to all I've got to shout out. So um, if you, the listener, want to learn more about Learn From Gaming, um, we've got all kinds of social media stuff. Also, I'm about to cough. <coughs> there we go oh man i can't wait until i'm not sick uh hopefully next episode <clears throat> we've got a facebook we've got twitter um we've got our website at www.learnfromgaming.com um if you just want to shout profanities at us we've got an email which is <laughs> which is learn from gaming podcast at gmail.com um so feel free to just shoot whatever you want in there as long as it's not a virus please um <laughs> And uh, we're also on iTunes. We're on uh, Google Sound, which means we're all over the internet now. Um, if you want to find us, we're there. We're on Podbean. Um, and that's really it. So uh, thank you again, listeners, for, for joining. Yeah. And tune back in soon. Yeah.